Let's pray. Almighty God, by your Spirit, tell us what we need to hear, and show us what we ought to do to obey Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy not, and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the peace of God, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. Word of God for the people of God. Well, I was tempted to change my scripture passage to Exodus 4 and 31, which says, and the people believed. Some of you might catch that, so... Um, you know, I think when people visit churches um, and looking for where they want to land, um, the idea of how that church is structured and how leadership is and organization takes place is probably not on the top list of things people are looking for um, based on kind of what seems to be drawing large numbers of folks. Um, people seem very unaware of what, what's even in place for leaders and organization. And um, if, if people were thinking about um, how am I going to obey and how am I going to submit, that would probably be even lower on the list of things that people are looking for. Had I announced that my topic this morning was obedience, submission, and godly leadership, um, some of y'all might have decided to go do something else. And yet, if you think about the absolute disasters among churches that have taken place, it very often is the case that they were under very ungodly leadership, that there was no real structure or organization and rather than obedience or submission, there was fighting and bickering to the point that there was division. I often joke, anytime I see a church that is named Unity, I know it came out of a church split. It very much is the case that the way we organize and the way we structure ourselves and the way leadership is organized is absolutely critical and absolutely critical for spiritual health. The number of people I have seen hurt by abusive leadership, um, and give up on church altogether is, a, is not insignificant. The, the reputation damage done to the church every time a church leader is in the headlines um, for financial or sexual or 
um, abusive behavior. Um, it does damage to the name of Christ. It has harms to souls, and it hampers the mission. So this isn't a warm, fuzzy topic that I'm expecting your, your heart to be warmed, and I'm probably not going to see any tears. But it's really practical, and it's really critical, and it's something to pay attention to because what's going on is we're at the end of Hebrews. And this is kind of something that's going on with all the letters is as the apostles are dying out, as the first generation of those who have um, started the church are leading, they have to think of how are we going to continue Christ's work? How are we going to continue the church? How has Christ um, guided us to make sure this hands on to the next generation and the next and the next? And we are heirs of those who have given attention to the way Christ has organized the church and set it up to be handed on so that we hear the gospel. Um, So we're going to look at uh, the first is that um, um, command to obey leaders and to submit to them. So, something not a pleasurable thing to think of. We don't like obedience. We like to be in charge ourselves. We like to make things. But here's the the thought is, anytime you have a group, um, there are going to be times that, even if you have a group of two in a marriage, you're going to have times that not everyone's in agreement on something. Um, There's going to be different ideas about the way to do things. And a lot of things, you know, it's, it's not like there's a deep spiritual... Um, reason for it, Um, color of carpet, for example, but the number of churches that get stirred up over something as insignificant as color of carpet, and because it's church, we suddenly baptize things and make them holy wars over really insignificant things, and rather than having this idea of, I'm going to have my way, we're told to obey leaders to submit to them. So obedience and submission is within the realm of biblical um, authority. We're we're told to be submissive quite often in our families. We honor our mothers and father. Uh, We we are to um, be obedient as children. As we um, take on roles in society, we are told to um, as servants are told to obey their masters. There, there's an authority that has to be exercised in um, basic work and organizations has to take place. And we're, we're told repeatedly to um, submit to civil authorities, to be obedient to civil authorities. And this is even those who are pagan leaders, leaders who shouldn't be, uh, who aren't, you know, exercising care of their souls, this is just saying, as citizens, we are to be obedient to the government. And likewise, in the church, God raises up leaders, God um, has established an ordering and calls us to be obedient and submissive. Um, So, this is in particular areas, and I want to say that that word submission it's a good word. <laughs> it, it, when, I, when I counsel with people getting married and we look at the passage where wives are told to submit to their husband, it's a reminder that submission does not mean you stop having an opinion. Submission does not mean you give up your will and your will is to be just completely subsumed by the will of the other. Submission is 
when you acknowledge someone else's authority and their role and you yield to it, it doesn't mean you're not allowed to have an opinion. It doesn't mean obedience and submission doesn't mean you're not to express your opinion. It doesn't mean you're not supposed to say, this is what I see. It doesn't mean just be quiet and get out of the way. It means when there comes times that we don't see eye to eye, we submit, we obey. As long as our conscience allows that we say, okay, I, I, maybe I disagree with this, but for the, for the well-being of things, for things to go as they ought to do, for the unity of the body, maybe music isn't always exactly how I want it to be. Maybe things are structured and things I disagree with. So obedience um, is realizing that sometimes we do things others have decided. So let me just kind of say obedience is not saying if I don't get my way, I stop giving. Obedience isn't saying if I don't get my way, I'm going to stop participating, I'm going to leave. And we're called, as long as there's godly authority, to submit and to obey. But this actually says more about leadership to which we submit, leadership to which God has placed over us. And I want to look at that more. So the first thing is, why are we called to obey and to submit? He doesn't say, obey your leaders, because they are perfect and know everything right and do everything well. Right? It's not saying that they are infallible, therefore you just need to do exactly what they say, shut up, don't have an opinion and do it. That's not at all biblical leadership or biblical obedience. Right? It's saying, it, it, so the, the idea that, I mean, it very well could be that we could disagree with someone and we could be right. They could be wrong. Elders could make a bad decision. But for the sake of the order and structure, we, we, we obey as long as it doesn't go against conscience or clear teaching of Scripture. It doesn't say obey and submit because they are so much holier than you. Right? I mean, there's no sense of which someone who's a deacon or an elder or a pastor and a teacher has a, a greater degree of holiness they're all to be Christian maturity, but that's not saying that someone is in that position because they are so much better than anyone else. And so it's not saying submit to them because they are holier than thou. We're all brothers and sisters, equal at the foot of the cross. All of us have given, been given gifts and tasks and roles. And, and some roles are to serve in office, some roles are to teach, some roles are to do different things. And so as we exercise those roles, it's not because there's tears of holiness in this body, but simply the calling to which God has placed different people. And it doesn't say, obey and submit because they hear the voice of God I do not like pastors saying, God told me. Right? Because if I come in and say, God told me this, the implication is, and if you don't do this, you're resisting God himself. It's much better to say, this is my opinion, because that very often is what it is. But pastors, very often you will have a pastor who has kind of the attitude or the idea that I go off and I talk to God and I come back and tell the people what God wants us to do. 
And that is not what we see here. There's not this sense that, um, that elders somehow get a deeper vision of, of God and that we are supposed to submit to that as though we are submitting to the Holy Spirit. And so the idea here isn't that there's a deeper revelation. We all have access to the Word of God. We all have access to the Holy Spirit. Now, for planning and for thinking and, and seeing what I'm going to preach on next and for the elders to gather together and to pray and to seek God's will and to go off for a time is a good thing and something that is to be done. But the attitude that somehow we um, get the Word of God and come back and deliver it is not biblical. And so what we see is that we, we submit and obey because they're those who give account. They're looking over your soul. So the idea is not that there's something special about this person. It's that this is the role that they have in the church, and it makes things work as God intends as we play our roles, as we do what we're called to do. So what is this type of obedience and leadership? Not all obedience we're not to obey and to submit to all things. One is, um, well, just quickly, this idea of leadership is within the church. It's not that there's authority over all people. This is church through which, as we have joined, we've made vows to submit to. So it's voluntary. It's not saying we have a right to tell others how they should do things. Um, so one is, notice they submit to leaders. They don't submit to one another. We're not called to obey the majority rule. We're not called to submit to each other. We're called to submit and obey leaders. And what I, what I want to point out there is that there's a, just kind of a strain in the area that we're in that well, it, it just kind of goes with American democracy, right? We, we tend to think majority ought to um, have a vote and get their way on everything. And we import that attitude into the congregation and feel like the congregation should make um, decisions at time. I mean, you know, make all decisions. And we kind of import that view, but that is not a biblical view. God appoints elders and deacons and officers. And, and so when we come to make decisions, these are people, we are all accountable to the congregation. The congregation votes on those who are brought in into leadership. We believe there's this order and process. And yet, um, well, to, to say we don't have that, the idea that the congregation is the authority that makes decisions and leads, and so that we submit to leaders, not to one another. The second thing I would point out with that phrase is it's obedience to leaders, plural. Biblical leadership is a leadership that is collegial, that is a group of people. Biblical leadership is elders, so when Paul goes somewhere or he gives directions, the idea is that you appoint multiple elders, multiple um, leaders, um, because biblical leadership is to be not a single person saying this is the way it's going to be, but a group of people. Why is that? Well, one thing is we're all sinners, and my proclivity to sin or another's proclivity to sin um, would, would be harmful to the church if it was not checked. And so there's a group that can kind of call out each other's bias, a group that can see how those things are in check. The, the other thing is, not, no one of us has all the gifts that are needed for the burden of watching over souls and leading God's church. 
And so when you bring in a body of leaders, you have different views and different perspectives and different personalities that hopefully keep from error. Let me, let me give a very real example. When we uh, were uh, trying to figure out how to navigate all the stuff with COVID and the regulations and how we need to act as a church, I, I heard other pastors saying that was so difficult for me. The burden of leadership on, on this pastor to make that decision. And I wanted to go become a Presbyterian. I don't have that burden. I'm sharing that burden with other godly leaders who know a lot more than me. And so to have an MD on the session was really handy at that time. And let me tell you, the session disagreed pretty strongly. The elders, we, we had some extreme views on how to do that. But as we talked and worked, it kind of moderated and was, I think, done very well because it wasn't that we were disagreeing and, and disliking each other. There were different views and there was different perspectives that were needed. And, and you know, there, there was complete unity in the decision made, but a lot of different perspectives. And I think that was very helpful. And it was much less stressful than if, if I had just um, claimed all right to make those decisions myself. How good it is to have a group of people making decisions. One of the things with that is thank them for the mistakes of mine they have saved you from. I'm, I'm grateful for the no's they have told me on some things that um, I really wanted at the time. Now, I hope all the elders will forget that at our next session meeting and just do whatever I want them to do, but it is, it's healthy that we have checks and people, and rather than just one person saying this is the way it's going to be. And let me suggest that when you see a news of a pastor who has um, financial misconduct or inappropriate relations, there's probably not a group of elders who can take and say, this is not good. You don't need to be doing this. They're probably doing it all on their own. So it's not only that it's supposed to be plural, there's a collegiality to biblical leadership. Biblical leadership is accountable. They lead as those who are going to give an account. It weighs on us that decisions we make, are, we, we will answer to. We give an account to God for things that have been done and said. But that's also worked out in real accountability um, so there's not this sense that, hey, I'm accountable to God. You can't tell me anything. There's real accountability in a structure that says there's a body of people. There's a congregation that has a process for saying what is being done by our leaders is not appropriate. We want to have someone else look at this. To have another congregation, I mean, have another body of other congregations and elders that can come in and say this is good or this is not good or there's some way that there is accountability is a good thing because people are sinners. They do wrong. They abuse people and they hurt people. And if there's no way to remove that person, the amount of damage is for generations. And so it is necessary. And I would go so far as to say if, if someone is calling themselves a pastor and there's no process for removing them from authority, there is no validity to that ministry. Because all they're saying is, I'm a pastor. 
to have a body that can come in and say, we will remove this guy if he gets out of line, gives real authority because they're saying, there's a broader group saying this person has a valid ministry. And so there needs to be accountability in, among leadership. So this is not saying just obey these people who get up and say they're speaking for God. It's saying that there's, there's um, real substance to what they're doing and they can be removed. So um, the next thing is that biblical leadership is only ministerial. Um, it's only declaring what God has said. The, the role of biblical leadership is not able to add anything to God's word or demand anything beyond God's word. When I was pastoring in Alabama, there was a um, church nearby which seemed to be growing, seemed to be going really well, and one of their requirements for membership was you had to submit your last year's tax return, and they would set your tithe um, uh, on that basis. David, it's a concept we might explore. <laughs> that was a requirement for membership. And I remember thinking, the Bible says nothing about that. You see, to recognize that Jesus himself is the great shepherd of the sheep means I can't go and add anything to what Jesus himself requires. And Jesus requires faith in him. Doesn't add faith in him and submit your tax return. Faith in him and sign up for these things. It's faith in him. And our only authority is to say, thus says the Lord. This is what Scripture says. We can't add any requirements to Scripture. What we do is we say, this is what the Bible says. And if you're really a Christian and you're, you're not walking in obedience to say, this is, Scripture says a Christian who's following Jesus doesn't do these things. And, and if you're a believer, this is what, kind of what your life would look like. But if you ever hear of those churches where pastors approve um, marriages or where somebody buys a house, which I have heard of, they're a cult. Do not call them a church because that's authority way beyond what Scripture gives to the, the, the church. All we can say is he forgives you if you trust in him. And if you do not trust in him, you still stand condemned. And if you trust in him truly, you're going to live in certain ways. All authority is authority that serves. It's ministerial. It serves the great shepherd of the sheep. He is the one who has given us his word, and we don't add to it. And finally, all of it is for looking over the care of souls. So obedience and submission is to those that are looking over our, what is good for us. It's so tempting to, to try to build our own kingdoms. It's so tempting to try to build our own self. It's so tempting for many to try to just kind of get a big following on um, um, social media. And yet what godly leadership and godly um, office is, is caring for you. And caring for your soul. And so it very well could be that you have seen churches where the leadership was really kind of abusive. Where the leadership was really about protecting and guarding themselves in their own place. Where the leadership wasn't really caring for people. It was upholding a certain ideal or abusing people. Godly leadership is a leadership that washes feet. 
that looks out for others, that puts us in before. And that's the leadership that we're called to obey and submit to. It's, it's the leadership that we see in Jesus. Three points of application to this kind of leadership, to the idea. One is, all of this assumes being part of a local body. Being in the church, being involved in a congregation is not optional for a Christian, right? So, I mean, if you're going to obey this, that means you have to have leaders that you're submitting to. You can't just be off on your own watching this YouTube video because you like that teacher and, and kind of stopping in a Bible study at this place and going here and, and or just saying you're not anywhere. You have to commit to somewhere and saying, I'm going to be part of this group and I'm going to submit to these leaders because it assumes that's the way you're doing this. Matter of fact, every page in the New Testament is assuming that you are part of a group of real people, that you are a, a member of an actual group walking with them. And, and so that, the idea of someone who says that they're a Christian but has no involvement with the church, uh, just I, how, how can you read this book and not see that you're called to serve one another, love one another, submit to one another, to be in all these ways with one another. We are to be part of the church and not in an abstract spiritual church, but in a real church with real people, with real names and real sins. Um, the second is it might be many of you um, have been hurt Many of you have seen others hurt and led astray. Can I suggest those are not valid ministries or true churches? America, you have the freedom to get a bunch of people, get a Bible, and declare yourself a church. But that doesn't mean that we who follow the Scriptures have to say that it's a valid ministry or a true church. If someone is claiming to be an apostle, does not mean we have to give them the benefit of the respect of saying that that is a true church. It very well could be that there are true Christians who are being saved in that body. There could be truth there, but for someone to not have biblical leadership, to not be following scripture in the way they organize their life together does not make it, a, means we don't have to say that's, that's a real church. So what I mean is, if you've been heard, it might be from a pseudo church, a false prophet, from someone who's lying and not representative of the true church of Jesus and his saints and those who are seeking the welfare of souls and submitting to the great shepherd of the sheep. Oh, I hate it when I can't read my writing for that last critical moment. Well, here it is. This isn't one of those things that kind of makes us you know, warm hearts, right? But what it is is a sign of Jesus's love and the gospel where the rubber meets the road. For Christ died on the cross to purchase our salvation and all the blessings of that, and he has given us a body that is going to be the place where we hear that and where it's worked out in real life. And so it can be very well that we, we think of what God has done for us and what Jesus has done for us and ignore and miss the way he applies it to us. The way you are saved is by hearing the gospel and having faith strengthened in you and to have all these things encouraging you and, and correcting you. And the way that is done 
It's not by the Holy Spirit immediately talking, speaking to you, but the way that is done is by this organization that Christ has established, sinful, fallible, made mistakes organization that he has entrusted the gospel and the mysteries of faith at the table and the baptismal font to us so that the way that you come to faith and the way your faith is strengthened is that week after week as you are walking with brothers and sisters who are praying for you and encouraging you and as we gather together to hear that gospel message and to remind us, yeah, I know this week, whatever you have done, God still loves you and forgives you. And to remind you that whatever you've done, he calls you to holiness and to, to apply it to our specific day-to-day life. People who know you, you know their names and you know them, and that we're walking together, God doesn't save us in the abstract. He saves you, and he saves you with brothers and sisters who are in this room together. And he does so week after week as we work through his scriptures, applying it to what you're going through in your life and calling you to this table to say your doubts and your fears and the things you're struggling with, they're cleansed. And the way all of this is done is to be guarded and protected from those who abuse it and use it for anything other than calling you to salvation and caring for your souls. And so all of this is to purify and to keep these things as the gospel is applied to your daily life Um, whole and healthy. Would you please stand and let us state what we believe for the words of the Apostles' Creed.